Hey everyone, and welcome to Made of Stardust. I'm your host, Jolie Goodnight, and this is a podcast about people who aspire to inspire. Each one of our guests has something special about them, a spirited spark to them that breathes life into the people they inspire. After all, that's what the word inspire originally meant, to breathe life into. This podcast is supported by listener support, so go to joliegoodnight.com podcast to help keep Made of Stardust shooting for the stars. Get access to exclusive content every month and all the fun goodies. Today, I'm joined by international burlesque sensation and star of stage and screen, Ruby Jewel. 21st Century Burlesque Magazine in London named her the poised porcelain princess of teas, and she's won most classic at the Burlesque Hall of Fame twice. That's part of the reason I wanted to talk to her today. Ruby Jewel is known for her uncanny ability through glamour, grace, and poise to transport you to another time. And that's a special quality to bring a 2021 audience back to 1941 with such ease. In a world that's obsessed with trends, it's inspiring to see someone effortlessly reflect such a profound sense of authenticity and glamour throughout her classic-inspired career. My takeaway from this episode? Just wait until you hear her advice about confidence. Seriously, life-changing. Hi, Ruby Jewel. Hi, Jolie. Good night. How are you? Ooh, I like your coop. I'm good. How are you? You. I'm doing fabulous. Busy, busy. <laughs> busy, busy. That's good. It's good to stay, stay busy or occupied or there's probably a better way to put it other than we're busy, I think. But busy did not sound glamorous. <laughs> uh <laughs> Showgirls at work. <laughs> delightfully, delightfully, um, I don't know. <laughs> what do people tell their kids to go do when they tell them like it's time to go play? Like other than go occupy yourself. I don't know because go clearly I don't yourself? have kids. Go inter- you're, inter- entertained. you're delightfully entertained. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks so much for joining me today, especially in these maiden voyages of Made of Stardust. Yes, I'm so excited to be a part of it. Yeah, I can't wait bro. to listen to all of them. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have some really cool guests on. I'm excited. But um, for those of you who don't know, Ruby Jewel is my burlesque bestie. Um, and we're also in the same burlesque troupe, the Jigglewatts Burlesque Review, which we're definitely going to cover a bit today. Um, So for the folks who don't know you personally, I have to say that one of the things that inspired me just from the get-go before I met you, just when I saw you perform, um, was your uncanny ability to have this poise and grace and also that you transported me to another time and especially for people who are in burlesque or pinup or anything that's like fantasy 101 for us is getting to feel like we're back in the 1940s again and that's something that you do really well so my first question though is um what did you aspire to be when you grew up uh, well, first of all, thank you. That means the world. Um, that is yeah. that is my goal, not to be sexy or pretty or 
you know, any of those things, but really to bring someone into a whole new universe with me. So thank you. Yeah, Um, I mean it. When, when I was little, I, um, my mother wrote a lot. I'm an only child. So my mother wrote down a lot of things that I said. (laughs) One of those things was she asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, a lady. (laughs) That's incredible. Wow. Um, What did that, what did that mean to you? What did you mean by a lady? Well, here's, here's my theory is that I was fascinated with the, the trappings of, of the grown up lady, the, the glamour basically, but not knowing the word for it at three years old. Um, but you know, high heels and makeup and, um, the, the shape of clothing and, you know, I never wanted to wear children's clothes. I just wanted to wear like nightgowns and things. Um, yeah, I was just so entranced by femininity itself. And so that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to be. And so that led to immediately to ballet lessons. So, cause that was to me the most feminine thing you could possibly do, um, was be a ballerina. So that, um, and then when I learned that I couldn't be a a ballerina later on in life, then it was theater and still being on stage and in front of people. But I just, I wanted to be a pretty, pretty princess forever. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I actually even remember my very first little nighty, you know, a little pink nighty with a lace bottom on it. And like, I remember what it looked like, what it felt like. Like I remember the whole shebang and I didn't know that it was going to have an influence on me at the time, but like that, that little nightgown and those plastic, um, pink high heels. Remember the plastic yeah. heels so, that you would yes, get? As big, a, yeah. Um, elastic thing across the toe to keep them on. Mm-hmm. So it was like a slide. <laughs> Yeah. Basically like little follies. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Revelations. For babies. Uh, oh man. Yeah. They were really hard to keep on and um, mm-hmm. they hurt. But uh, so then what led you from ballet and theater and all of those things to burlesque? How did you end up here? Um. Well, I had never heard the word burlesque, and I had no idea that it existed, um, except through little dropped hints and clues um, that I picked up along the way, watching old Hollywood musicals, um, movies, and through watching The Muppet Show. And those of you who are fans of The Muppet Show will know exactly what I mean, especially if you've watched the episodes from the 70s recently. It was, it's just like light bulbs going off left and right about how burlesque that show is. So, uh, so sometime in the early 2000s, I saw a poster up in one of the local theaters. I was doing a lot of theater at the time and it said something, something burlesque, but the imagery was like a leg in a high heeled shoe and a seamed stocking and red curtains behind it. And like, you know, an entranced audience. And I was like, what is this burlesque thing you say? And, um, you know, I was sort of nudging my co-stars in the play going, what is this? I don't know. Let's go check it out. And we did. And, 
it, it was just like, it was like meeting all of your best friends for the first time after 10 years. It was like, this is that thing. It's called burlesque. How do you spell that? Let me just write that down. <laughs> and then from then on, it was tons of research, um, looking on MySpace, trying to <laughs> connect with the performers here and, um, and just learning all I could finding out about the legends and doing what I could to get involved. So yeah, that's how I found it to begin with. Okay. Okay. And so who were the performers at the time? Like what was set the scene a little bit? What was Austin burlesque like when you started? The Austin burlesque scene um, was pretty non-existent. There was, uh, there were two troops, Red Light Burlesque and Kitty Kitty Bang Bang. And it seemed like they would do shows maybe once or twice a year, big productions. So there was no like regular ongoing performance scene. Um, and I feel like I contacted both of them at different times to ask about auditions because I didn't know any better. <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't hear back. I wouldn't hear back. And I think finally was like, uh, they're not holding auditions or someone, someone was kind enough to get back to me. And now being in a troupe and knowing how it works, I know exactly why <laughs> they don't hold auditions. It doesn't work that way. Um, so, so yeah, there, there really was just not a scene. And that was probably from about 2002 to 2006, whenever, whenever the perfect storm of the Juggalwats came together and we decided that we could make it happen for ourselves. So the first show that you did um, was a Jiggle Watch show then? Yes. Okay. Yes. First show was, was the Jiggle Watch's first show. Ooh, how did that feel? What was it like? Oh my gosh. We spent about, <clears throat> I think we spent about two months or six weeks preparing for the show. And we all came from theater backgrounds and film and TV backgrounds, mm -hmm. acting and dance. And so we really wanted there to be, we wanted a motivation to take our clothes off in each <laughs> act. And most of the acts were duets or trios. We, there mm -hmm. were very few, I think only one solo. <laughs> it was mine. And it was at the last minute. So professional. Um, so we spent a lot of time coming up with these acts that had, a, each one had a storyline kind of to it so that when it came time to disrobe, there was a reason for it. And anyway, we spent a lot of time getting everything prepared and it felt, it felt great creatively. But then when I got on stage that night, this had never happened to me before, I was terrified for the first time mm. ever being on stage. I was so terrified because the realization hit me all of a sudden that everything I was about to do on stage that night was my own choice. There was no, no one else to point to, no other, no director, no one who would cast me in this role. I cast myself. Mm -hmm. So I'd better measure up and no script to follow. It was just all me from soup to nuts, music choice, choreography, costuming. And it just felt like so much pressure. And I was like, what have I done? My legs started shaking uncontrollably. And I was like, everyone can see that I'm shaking. Just keep smiling. Oh. <laughs> and the next day I had this horror, like I sunk into this horrible depression of like, just sort of what, 
what have I done? What, what is this that I've stepped into right now? <laughs> so it was kind of, it was kind of wobbly at first, just because it was so different from anything I'd ever tried before. And it, it really didn't have anything to do with nudity or, you know, revealing myself in front of people. That was, you know, I feel like I'd done that forever just in dance. But this was a new bearing of my soul, and it was heavy <laughs> at first. Yeah, you know, I coming from a theater background, I did the exact same thing with my first really? burlesque routines. I sat down and um, had the uh, the motivation and the object and the like. I had everything written down for it, and then whenever I got on stage and started doing it, um. Unfortunately, all that acting training had given me a fourth wall. And the fourth wall is, you know, for for non-theater folks, it's that barrier that actors have between um, the stage and the audience. And uh, it's really rare that you see the fourth wall broken. Um, you'll see it like in Shakespeare and stuff um, every once in a while with these little asides that are said to the audience. But for the most part, you have a, a wall up. And uh, I had worried so much about my motivation and all the things in my burlesque routine that I had no idea that um, I actually had to have no fourth wall to have a successful burlesque act. And I think that's what was making me so nervous was that it turns out my motivation was to reach people and reach mm -hmm. the back of the room. And the motivation was like, to titillate and to communicate something that was like otherworldly. And it felt like right. such a different responsibility than just remembering lines. Um, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. It's more than it's storytelling in a different way. It's way more direct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It turns out the story you're telling, even when um, you put on a bit of a burlesque character, the story you're telling is still like, hey, we're all hanging out, right? In the same room together. And this is exciting together. And all of this is happening together. <laughs> that was a really right. new experience. And it sounds like you had a little bit of that same um, baby deer leg moment um totally. and then so so how was it um moving forward like did you feel that same way the next time that you did it or yeah uh the next few times I did it I think it took me probably about a year to get past the um the physical manifestations of this strange um uh, anxiety about this new thing that that I was doing where all the pressure was on me creatively. I remember my legs shaking and I'm like, I'm not even scared. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I remember thinking I'm never going to get past this. How in the world? Am I, I guess maybe this isn't for me, but eventually, hmm. and I really can't point to a single moment where it changed, but eventually it just calmed down. And, and that's when I really began to completely enjoy it. And a lot of that had to do with the people I was working with too, because we were all kind of in the same boat. So there was so much support in the burlesque community. Um, and I feel like that was there for us as soon as we started, or maybe we were just so dorky and happy-go-lucky about it <laughs> that we thought people liked us. <laughs> but we really tried to be respectful of the other performers who were here before we got started. And 
we just had nothing for ad, but admiration for all of them. And I think they kind of were like, oh, okay, y'all are cool, I guess. And, you know, more support came out of that. So I think, I think I started to just ride on that, on that supportive wave and realize it's going to be okay. We're all doing this together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, part of the maiden stardust idea, I guess, is, um, I, I was thinking of in French, the difference between the words aspire and inspire because they're opposite mm-hmm. from English. <laughs> And uh, it turns out, really, the idea behind it is that you're breathing life into something when you aspire or when you inspire. Um, it has to do with taking breath and giving yeah. breath. So, okay. uh, you know, I know that in burlesque, a lot of what we do is is breathing life into something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are a lot of misconceptions also about this art form. So I wanted to ask you, how would you define it and breathe life into it for someone who's maybe never experienced it before? Wow. That question has a lot of layers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How would I, how would I breathe life? And well, it's such, it's so difficult because I never know where someone is coming from. And I've heard so many people's way different takes on what they think burlesque is or what it might be. And maybe they're just talking about the word or the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if we take the word and the movie out of the equation, this thing that starts with a B, <laughs> it is, um, it's a, it's a kind of, theater and dance theater and movement that uh now every time I come up with words to describe it this other voice is like oh but what about that oh but what about that it is just so hard to pin down I feel like I don't know yeah I know that's not helpful I wish I had a better answer (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that is helpful I think that's kind of the nature of a lot of art And um, a lot of art forms in general is, I mean, I'm sure before, you know, when Monet, for example, when Monet came along, it was like this atrocity to art. Like they were shocked. They were angry. There were like all all these feelings about it. And I think in general, um, people feel ways about art forms, be it a genre of music or how a painting should or shouldn't be done or how burlesque in this case should or shouldn't be done. Um, Yeah. People but, say that's not art all the time about works of art, just like they say that's not burlesque about right. burlesque, left and right. Uh, so what then do you think is so inspiring about burlesque, either from for performers or audience or all of the above? What do you think that makes it just such a, um, a massively inspiring art form? I think that it, that maybe it's the same in a lot of ways for performers and for an audience, because I think performers at one time were an audience that saw burlesque for the first time. And I think it's that moment where you imagine yourself up there and you think, I can imagine or I can see or I can plan on doing that myself. And I think an audience, even if they never become a burlesque performer, I think one of the most powerful things about burlesque and especially about its inclusivity 
is that people see themselves represented on stage. So I would say that's represented and celebrated at the same time. I think that's the most inspiring thing. What inspired you to do burlesque? I mean, I know that you saw the poster and you saw that little aesthetic kind of creep in or pop in rather. But what do you think like really just made you go, ah, okay, this is, this is it. This is my, this is the other love of my life kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that it was the same thing that terrified me about it. It was this, this art form where I could be on stage, I could perform and I could entertain and I could be 100% in complete control of everything going on. I got to choose what I wore, what I danced to, what I did, how fast, how slow, how long. (laughs) I got to make all of those calls instead of, I mean, that's quite a change from auditioning, (laughs) you know, (laughs) getting to be the casting director and every other role. Um, I think that's really what, what has kept me doing it for so long. Yeah. 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 I think that, um, there's an accessibility to it, um, that Mm -hmm. traditional acting doesn't really tend to have, um, where, uh, your fate doesn't feel quite so determined by other people <laughs> all the time. Right. I mean, your fate, your fate becomes really massively determined by you. Yes. And, um, and sure you have to like get hired and be put into shows and into festivals. Um, but for the most part, if you have a lot of drive and will and just the, the courage to walk up to people and be like, hi, I'm Julie Goodnight. And I really want to be in your show. (laughs) Then usually you're going to get in a show. I mean, that's most, most people, it turns out are really talented and you don't have to fight for one spot because there's so much talent in the world and there's so many stages and there's Mm -hmm. so many spots to put them in. But speaking of festivals, um, I wanted to ask about, uh, your titles at Burlesque Hall of Fame for the folks that are tuning in that um, don't know what Burlesque Hall of Fame is. There's a museum about burlesque that you should go visit in Vegas. And um, it's really well curated and, and really well done and very informative, especially kind of as a Burlesque 101 chapter um, and a great introduction. But there's also a weekender um, and it's sort of the the mecca for burlesque performers and burlesque legends. We get to hang out with the the folks who did it before us and learn from them, but um, and see them perform sometimes as well. Um, but as far as inspirations and aspirations go, did you aspire to win those titles, or were you, are you sort of a uh, whatever, whatever happens, happens, or like, are you goal oriented? How to, what was your approach um, for burlesque call of fame? Well, I really do not enjoy burlesque competitions. <laughs> <laughs> I like sharing what I'm going to do, but I don't like knowing that I'm being lined up against a bunch of other people and compared and evaluated to see who liked who better. So I didn't really go into it with that in mind. I really wanted to 
uh, I wanted to perform and I didn't care which night it was on. I just really wanted to be a part of this big thing, this huge historic thing is what it felt like and still does. And so, um, I had been applying to perform for a couple of years before I was accepted. And so when I got in and I got in, in the debut category, I was thrilled and surprised. And again, just really, really thrilled to, um, to even be a part of it. So then winning it was like all this in heaven too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just got to perform on this stage and now I get this big trophy. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I didn't have any designs on, on winning. I thought it would be nice, but I didn't, I didn't really go after that or really like want that. Uh, and did it change anything for you? Like uh, after, after the first time or the second time, did you notice any changes like as an artist or in your career? Um, I feel like I maybe got hired to be a part of some uh, local, like royalty themed shows. <laughs> um, and a, f- a few folks from different festivals reached out to me to come and perform. Um, but I was trying to, I was really trying to grow my cachet, I guess, and my, um, my name and be put myself out there and, grow those connections anyway, without the, without these awards. But I think they definitely helped, but I don't think that on their own, um, that they really did anything. I really had to, I was in prime hustle mode during those years and it really wore me out. Uh, but I think they, they were kind of, they were helpful, but they didn't really change anything. I wouldn't say. Yeah. You know, I, feel like the more autobiographies I read and biographies I read, um, it sort of seems like uh, goal setting is like uh, not harmful, but I have to search for the right word. But it's almost like if you just go ahead and enjoy the journey that you're on rather than aiming for a thing and then being disappointed if that thing doesn't happen or like being really excited that that thing happened. And now you're kind of like, well, now what am I supposed to do? Cause this happened that, I don't know. I think the journey is maybe more of the goal and we just don't realize it. If that oh, makes sense. One, yes. 100%. 100%. I, I have been thinking a lot about goals kind of recently because I, like, I kind of don't really have any, I have, um, it sounds strange to say, but I, I have desires. I have things that I want mm. that I would love to have happen. Um, but I feel like a goal is a desire with a specific time frame attached to it. And I really feel like I'm just leaving the timing up to the universe and I want what I want. And I'm just going to follow the path of least resistance as it lights up and, and go with the flow. That's what's been working out the best for me, honestly. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> so I fully support you with like <laughs> goals. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're the one who taught me path of least resistance 
And I feel like that was such a big lesson to learn of like, if you're fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting for something, but there's this other thing that's like over on the other side of the room or of your life that's going like, Hey, but like I'm here. And at some point it's maybe better to go to that other thing. That's like waving its hands at you and, Mm -hmm. and beckoning you and welcoming you and opening the door for you. Then like, maybe it's time to not go into doors that you're not really supposed to walk into, or at least not yet. Like maybe you're supposed to go through that other door to get to that other one later on. Um, and to trust the timing of, you know, path of least resistance. But I also have found that that requires some confidence and some trust. So, you know, I think sometimes people confuse perfection and you're one of those people that comes off as as just impeccably, perfectly, uh, you know, like I said, like old Hollywood earlier. But what I wonder then is what inspires you to feel confident? Because even if we don't feel confident, you must have something inside of you in there that's making you feel confident in order to keep following that path of least resistance. Man, I've worked I've worked on confidence my whole life. Um, I don't know if this will answer your question, but it's what's coming to mind. So when, uh, way before burlesque, when I was, um, really had aspirations to be a model and Mm. I was working on my portfolio, getting a lot of photos and going out for one runway shows and things like that. I was so self-conscious about, different parts of my face and my body. And someone told me, or I heard somewhere, it's about attitude. You gotta have attitude. And I was like, what is this mystical attitude thing that everyone (laughs) seems to have and want? And what is attitude? What is that? And it dawned on me one day that what they meant or what I chose to interpret it as was the sense of, yeah, so yeah, my nose looks like this. So, or whatever, I'm not tall enough, or I'm a few pounds heavier than you'd want me to be. So that's Mm. attitude. And the next time I was, um, I was on the runway and then my next few photo shoots after that, they came out so good. (laughs) I was like, Uh. oh, maybe. So just walking into the room instead of thinking about these things that I'm really self-conscious about, I just flip it and go, this is what gives me attitude. So I'm going to do it. And this is going to be, this is going to, this is going to provide the confidence (laughs) to go. So (laughs) that is so smart. That's genius. I can't believe I've never asked you that question. Like in all of our zillions of hours in the car together, because I'm really excited to use that next time. How I'm like, attitude, and you now yeah. you know what that means. <laughs> yeah, because even uh, admittedly, even with this podcast, like I fully believe in um, what I'm wanting to do with these questions and with the idea behind it. You know, we're all made of stardust, and at some point, we're all going to go back uh, to being stardust, and um. I want to interview people who are inspiring me in the time that they're given. You know, this is the time that you're given to be Ruby Uh Jewel. And I'm inspired by what you're doing with that time you're given. But 
as you know, I'm developing the podcast, I'm like, okay, who all is on the dream list? And I'll think of people and then I'll be like, but what if they say no? And now I know the response is so, so, <laughs> so, Girl, you so. Have some attitude. <laughs> I've got attitude as the French would say (laughs) um well so I know then you've had this this incredible career that involves pinup modeling and burlesque and acting and you know I know that you still have these other roles that you do occasionally in movies and things so um I know that takes momentum just continuous momentum so what inspires inspires you like what images or or like whatever it could be actually what is it that inspires you to keep on keeping on Mm, the 90s for sure (laughs) what about the 90s uh well the 90s um was such a beautiful time in fashion (laughs) Mm. when we were going back to um dior is it dior's new look that silhouette mm-hmm. that became really popular again. I don't, was it Dior brought it back? Mugler brought it back. Um, Dior's was in the, it was post World War II. And then it was Mugler that brought it back into all of Galliano. our view and the. Didn't Galliano do something with that during his time? At Dior? I think all of those fellas did. I'm they, pretty sure they all did. between Gautier and Galliano and then oh, uh, yeah. probably Dior, whoever was designing again in the eighties and nineties brought, mm-hmm. you know, all the references to the fifties. Definitely. Yeah. I think so. <clears throat> that time period was the same time period where I was kind of coming into my own and my own sense of style and realizing I didn't have to dress the same way all my friends did or I could find new friends and <laughs> that we were more compatible <laughs> with. And uh, it was it was just a really interesting time to see what was happening in art and fashion and media um, aesthetically. And I find myself, as that comes back and gets more popular now, that it's re-inspiring me and I'm remembering um, that spark of what kind of got me interested in the first place. Uh, so that's just what popped into my head when you asked that question. Yeah, but, I didn't know if you meant like musically the 90s, oh, but that makes sense. That oh, 90s fashion. And it's funny because right now I feel like the 90s fashion that's really in style is more um, the like, I don't know if it's that bohemian teenager look <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of weird fusion the, kind of happening. The, <laughs> like, yeah, the like chunky heels and meets clueless mm-hmm. meets something. But it's funny because I'm having the same thing of like, because that's what I was wearing then. But now uh, all I can do instead is refer back to the 90s that I missed out on because like you, I wanted to be a lady and I was wearing these like kind of little girl clothes. But what I really wanted to be wearing was like massive sunglasses and huge hats and silhouettes that made my waist look like, you know, the size, like a martini glass (laughs) shape essentially. And I wanted to look like a wine glass stem, you know, um, (laughs) And, uh, so then what's inspiring you? That's so, that's such an interesting answer because when I think of you, I always think of 
40s, but it makes sense because all of that is such a throwback to that 40s oh, yeah. and, and 50s shapes. And Yeah, that's my version um, of the 40s that I got to live through. <laughs> and then, so just being a musician myself, I have to ask, like, what inspires you musically? Now? Yeah, sure. Right now. Oh, right now. What is inspiring me is, is, um, remixes. I think I'm, I've been listening to the same decades worth of (laughs) blues and jazz for so long (laughs) that now I'm kind of like eager for something that sounds a little new. Like the, I love a lot of electro swing, but a lot of it is just way too fast and hectic for me. So I like slowed down electro swing or it has a little pop of that modern twist to it. Um, lo-fi remixes. (laughs) (laughs) Some of my very favorites. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, it's tough to say. I'm, I'm always looking for that kind of next thing, but you, you know it when you hear it, you know what I mean? And like, you can be somewhere out in public and your ears just perk up. Like, what is that? And you immediately shazam it. Like, uh, I'm going to keep that that for later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then what would you say inspired you when you were first starting, um, in burlesque, like musically, visually, doesn't matter. Um, I really referred a lot back to the legends. Um, and when I was first starting, I didn't really even know the term legend. It wasn't until I went to Beehaw for the first time and, and learned. Um, but I was looking um, back to the, I was trying to watch everything I could find on YouTube, which in that time there were, you know, you could watch everything there was in about 30 minutes. Uh, so trying to find old videos to just, to, to learn more about burlesque, what was this thing and why is no one talking about it? Why were we not taught? So Learning about the history of it really inspired me, um, in part probably because it seemed so rare, so kind of hard to find, and you had to dig a lot, so it seemed like a treasure when you found it. And I would try to see what other performers were doing, but um, I wasn't as inspired by other people as much as I was by by Legends, by Lily St. Cyr, and by Tempest Storm, and Betty Page, because she had a lot of videos where she was um, portrayed as a, as a burlesque performer. Um, so I would have to say the history really in one word. Yeah. Um, it's funny thinking about like when I first started, um, which I think it was maybe a year after you and I was looking at, at videos or trying to find videos and it was like a couple of Betty Page but, you know, of course, she doesn't really take anything off. She just kind of mm-hmm. gyrates around. Um, and then, so you know, cute. there were some, <laughs> they're really cute. They're really sweet. Um, and, you know, there were a couple of, of course, now we know them as the legends. But at the time, like, I didn't know their la- names, didn't know who they were. Um, and it still wasn't an accurate representation because um, they weren't removing many clothing pieces in in those videos I guess because of laws and things probably they were just having to like do the dance moves sort of um somewhat politely (laughs) 
<laughs> but right. without really getting to actually do their routines the way they would have done them normally. Right. Um, so it's interesting looking back on what inspired us then because it was a little bit made up. It was a little bit fiction. Like I think mm-hmm. we got inspired by something that was not necessarily the whole story and then had to run with this like half truth or a fourth of a truth and, and create something that wasn't really, uh, we, cre- we created something essentially that wasn't <laughs> the whole truth. Um, uh, but now we have all this access to legends and I wondered if in the process uh, if you've had any mentors or if you've had anyone that you really looked up to and learned from. Mm. Um, yes. Uh, one that really, really stands out to me. And um, she's no longer in this plane. Uh, Joan Arlene mm. was a, uh, she was a trained ballerina and I think she had her own ballet school. And I think that maybe she was only active in burlesque for about six years. But I met her at Burlesque Hall of Fame. And she taught an amazing workshop. And I was so impressed by that blend of ballet technique and burlesque technique. Because she that's how she approached it. Like, this is the technique. And... And that someone could blend those two worlds in their own career. And, uh, I, she, she seemed, she seemed like a ballet teacher. She seemed like a real kind of (laughs) stickler for your turnout. And, uh, (laughs) so, so I'm really, really grateful that I got to meet and learn from her. She was the original sex squire girl with the magazine cutout on stage, the big prop of the magazine cutout that she would stand oh. in front of in her original costume from the 40s. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, Tiffany Carter has been so kind and generous with what she knows. I mean, she'll just give you an impromptu duster lesson, lesson in her bedroom if you happen to ask her about it. I, and there's, I mean, there are just so, so many um, but I've been really lucky to meet Shenandoah. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, those are probably Tiffany and Shannon are probably the closest, <laughs> the closest ones to me. Yeah. What about you? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I feel the same way definitely about Tiffany Carter <clears throat> and, um, especially all the, the incredible blessings of her throwing those parties with all the legends whenever we would go on tour. The Gigawatts always made a, a stop on tour to Tiffany Carter's home. Um, even if we weren't performing in Vegas, it was like, how do we route ourselves to Vegas so we can stay with Mama Tiffany? And every time we had those parties or those dinners and we had the pleasure of sitting around and just hearing stories I feel like I became a better performer just Mm -hmm. through learning um, their very strong opinions, (laughs) learning whether I agreed or disagreed. I became a better performer um, and a better professional, just being able to sort through what was of their time and what's of our time. Um, And 
And then, you know, I have to say, and and I don't know if it's cheesy or not, but when I became a gigawatt and I had you and Coco Electric um, as these sort of like sister guides, is that a thing? Is a sister guide a thing? You know, I felt like such a kinship with y'all and like y'all were my sisters, not necessarily straightforward mentors. Um, But I had people who were dug in in the same way that I was, who were trying for the same things that I was. And we were able to um, kind of be in the same uh, group act (laughs) together, both literally and figuratively. And and in a way, that's kind of like having a mentorship. I knew I could always ask all questions. I could always ask Mm -hmm. for advice. I could always... um, uh, not have to be alone in showbiz, which can be kind of a lonely career. You know, even if you have yeah. bandmates, bandmates are busy doing their own thing. <laughs> but yeah. there's a different kind of sisterhood or brotherhood um, that happens in burlesque, I think, that a lot of careers don't have. Um, so I, you know, I know that's like a really <laughs> sentimental answer, but that's definitely the truth. Um <laughs> is always having these kind of guideposts that I could return back to. Uh, and then, and then, you know, I think that I had these invisible mentors and you might feel this too, and that we didn't have a lot of research to go by as we were saying before. So I felt like I could watch movies and see a scene Mm -hmm. and dream that that was me and learn from what she was doing and not doing and learn what power a wink has and learn from Rita Hayworth. Like I feel like Rita Hayworth was a mentor to me. I could learn the power of a hair flip, (laughs) you know, (laughs) what, what a powerful tool. (laughs) So do you. (laughs) I feel like it should be part of burlesque one-on-one classes perhaps is like how, how to, how to do that hair flip. And I'm not talking choreo nineties hair flip. I mean that Rita Hayworth, one move swift hair yes. over your back with a um, flip like that you only need one <laughs> exactly <laughs> absolutely um well so thinking about uh you know where you are now and then where you started with burlesque and pinup and everything um what are some of the experiences that you've had that surprised you that weren't like necessarily part of a goal, but just made you go, oh, okay, yeah, this is why, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I go ahead and, and struggle through a career like showbiz. Oh, there was one time after I did my snow queen number, this was kind of early on. Um, this lady came up to me and she said, I almost started crying at your act. And it was like, really? (laughs) That is the biggest compliment I've ever received. And when I first started doing Snow Queen, I was really self-conscious because the audience was really quiet, like not screaming, yelling, jumping up and down, standing up in their chairs like they would always do every single time for Coco. (laughs) So... Mm. I was like, maybe there's, maybe I need to not, maybe I need to look at this act a little bit better. And when she came up and, and gave me that amazing compliment, I understood 
oh, that's what this act is about. Okay, I'm going to lean into that. So just little moments of realizing that um, when you put, when you really put your heart into something creative and it, and it feels, you can just tell that, that it's, that it's developing in a beautiful way. You can't always predict how it's, how people are going to receive it. And that can be a little disconcerting, especially coming from a theater background, if you're used to getting the laugh or getting the whatever reaction. But it can just take one person to give you a little bit of feedback and it just affirms, okay, I was doing the right thing. This is on the right track and that is what I intended to do. So I guess that's a big one. Other than that, really everything that's happened in my career has been kind of a surprise moment because I, I can't say that I really set out to achieve this or that thing. Um, apart from very generally, I would love to perform at Behoff. I would love to perform at New York Burlesque Festival. You have no control over the outcome. So you just um, go with that flow and the most amazing surprises. Burlesque has taken me to perform around the world in a way that acting did not, professional dance did not, but this did. And I hope I'm not done yet. <laughs> no, you're not done yet. <laughs> if I have anything to say about it, you're absolutely not done yet. Yeah, it's just hitting the hitting the pause button and we're all hitting the pause button. Um, yeah. And then, you know, or maybe we're finding new ways to press... Uh, what was it like record and play at the same time whenever you're recording on a tape? Like, remember it speaking of the nineties, if you yeah. wanted to record a song on a tape from the radio, I think you had to re like press record and play at the same time, or at least oh, on yeah, my player. Right. So maybe that's, that's right. maybe that's more accurate. Maybe we're not pressing pause. We're just like <laughs> trying to record, <laughs> record some things from the radio instead of our own stuff I don't know yeah it's um, definitely a redirect maybe it's that tape deck change to the second one <laughs> yeah yeah do you think you know you were talking about um technique do you find yourself applying the techniques that you learned through ballet through theater um to uh your life in burlesque and in, in pinup like is, is technique a part of it? I think I've developed my own version of technique. And I, I would have to say that it has more to do with posing than with actual dance technique or, or movement. I think maybe it had to do with dance technique at the beginning, mm -hmm. but then after, over the years, I developed a different vocabulary of movement that lent itself more to the image I was trying to create with burlesque so that, I mean, I didn't want to look like a ballerina taking her clothes off. <laughs> There's way too much turnout in ballet. Yeah. <laughs> I would maybe it's like more of a showgirl dance technique. I mean, there's definitely some, definitely a lot of jazz influence, but I think that it's kind of its own little, its own little world of movement that, um, that each person kind of boils down to there's a, there's a cooking term. Is it a consomme? <laughs> 
Yeah, or like a, a roux, sort of, or like a, 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 re, a reduction, a, re, a wine reduction. Is that, yes. is that why we drink so much champagne? Mm. Is It's just part of the reduction. <laughs> no, that has it's to do with fat. Oh, I mean, great. There's many words will take us there. <laughs> it's a, yeah, boiling down to a, a new set of techniques per se well so i have one more question for you um you know i think a lot of people right now are pivoting um mm-hmm. and even past 2021 i think this question will always hold true for anyone uh who is aspiring to be something or to do something different um, or to change careers or whatever the case may be. And so I wanted to ask you if you have any advice people who for people who are trying to figure out where to begin. Where did you begin and how can that help other folks just start doing something fresh and different? Um, do you mean with burlesque or with this new world that with, we're in <laughs> with anything i mean you can relate it to yourself in terms of um how how did you personally just go okay now i'm doing this um i began by um getting myself excited about it um mm-hmm. with burlesque in the beginning And now with burlesque as it is now in its more digital form, I really resisted that a lot last year. No, no, not for me. And now like I'm dressed for a music video type thing I'm working on right now tonight. So things have changed. And in both cases, it was a matter of kind of flirting myself into it, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. don't, you're going to dream this big dream. You're going to have this desire. Don't trample it. Just let it gently gain some momentum. And I think the way you do that is by doing research, learning what you can about it, um, talking to other people about it, but be gentle with yourself. Don't, don't push yourself too hard or too fast. Just, you got to really learn like that line between, oh, this feels exciting and this feels good oh my gosh, this feels overwhelming. I can't do it. I hate it. Like find where that line is. And when Mm -hmm. you start to feel it creep up, just like go do something else for a while, go, you know, have a glass of champagne (laughs) or something. But I'd say that is the key to probably anything that you want in life is flirt your way into it. Yeah. I was going to say, it kind of sounds like really good dating advice too. (laughs) You know, like we're all doing here. This is a huge love affair with the world. <laughs> uh, oh, I love that. A love affair with the world. Well, it's been such a pleasure, Jewel. Thanks so much for joining me. And oh, and, it's uh, been it's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you. It's great to have your stardust to share to to make the world more sparkly. <laughs> and um and then how can how can people find you? Ooh. Um well right now my um my main home of choice is on Instagram at Ruby Jewel, J-O-U-L-E, the nerdy spelling. I'm also on Facebook. I'm also on um, rubyjewel.com. But Instagram's, a, Instagram's my jam right now. So reach out. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jewel. And I hope that I get to uh, cheers you very soon. Thank yes. you. Goodbye. Cheers. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Made of Stardust. Thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. If you want to get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content and all the fun goodies, go to jolygoodnight.com slash podcast. Every contribution helps to keep this podcast shooting for the stars. Thanks for your support, and we hope we've inspired you today.